Welcome to another edition of the Hawk Off the Press podcast. I'm your host, Gazette Hawkeyes reporter, John Steffi. I am coming to you from my Indianapolis hotel room following Big Ten Media Days. So uh, certainly an interesting past few days. It's an interesting time for the sport. A lot of changes in the sport. And as a result, there's a lot to talk about. So our text group subscribers were able to ask questions to me ahead of time for this podcast. And you can join that group for free. You can, there are two different ways to do this. You can go to the website, joinsubtext.com slash Hawkeyes, or you can text the number 319-729-8218. Again, that's 319-729-8218. Or you can go to the website, joinsubtext.com slash Hawkeyes. So now let's get into the questions. I'll have really good ones. Um, first one, why did Kurt Ferentz give Brian Ferentz a pay raise for the upcoming year? So for those who didn't see the headline the first time around, Kurt Ferentz gave raises of varying amounts to his assistant coaches and a few others. And that's part of the salary pool that was part of Kurt Ferentz's contract was having this pool of money to pay for assistant coach compensation. And it really was a key part of that contract for Kurt Ferentz's side of things because it really helped him in terms of it's easier to fend off offers from other schools if you're able to pay your assistant coaches more. And there are certainly some people who could be getting other jobs potentially if they wanted to make a move. So I'd even say when you take a look at somebody like LeVar Woods, he could be getting head coaching calls fairly soon. So there is this big pool of money. I think it's notable that while Brian Ferentz got a raise, it was significantly smaller by percentage than everybody else. If it was zero, I think that would be a little jarring to have all but one of the on-field assistant coaches getting the raise. So his was, I think the exact number was 4.7%, but I've had a lot of articles I've been writing, so I might be a little off on that number, but I'd have to look back at my past reporting there. So um, like that would probably sound pretty nice for a lot of professions, but for college coaching, particularly when you have this big salary pool, I really don't think it's much of a raise there. Then next question is about Justin Britt being out for the season. Curious about the line, potential starters and positions. So this is fascinating. And Got a little bit of light shed on this with the two deeps that came out on Tuesday, but a lot can still change. It's still early, you know, fall camp. You never know what will happen there. But I think in terms of specifically looking at Britt's absence, I really wouldn't be surprised to see Tyler Ellsbury starting. Now, I could see that happening maybe at a couple different positions. I'd say probably most likely would be guard. 
but it wouldn't totally shock me if he got to take a go of it at center or something like that. So he's somebody who I think could be a new entrant into the starting lineup. Um, I think another interior offensive lineman to keep an eye on is Michael Mislinski. Um, he was hurt for a good chunk of the offseason, including the spring. So didn't really get a chance to see him in the limited media availability that we do have in the spring. So I think maybe he's gone a little bit under the radar just because, okay, he wasn't in available for the open spring practice. So he's somebody, of course, the projected starter right now is Logan Jones, who is on the defensive line. Let's see, however many months ago, if I can do math today, eight months ago. Um, so that's certainly interesting. In terms of other reserves, though, who could maybe take a step up, David Davidkoff could be a guy at a couple different positions. Um, Nick DeYoung is right now listed as the backup right tackle, but I wouldn't be surprised if they get a little shallow at guard if they try to move him over to guard. So, um, and I t wouldn't totally rule out, even though he's not on the two deeps yet, Jennings Dunker could be another person who maybe takes a step up this year. So we'll see. There'll certainly be some new faces that people haven't been super familiar with from past seasons on this offensive line. They essentially lost three starters between Linderbaum, Schott, and then kind of the unofficial, but somebody who has started games before Cody ends, you know, he's also hurt last year. So it'll be an interesting position. I think the two positions that intrigue me the most are offensive line and wide receivers. So those two are right up there, I think, with quarterback. So um, then the next question is, what's up with Xavier Wampa not being on the two deeps? So um, I think nobody has come in with a higher profile to Iowa in at least a very long time, if not ever than Xavier Wampa, um, but wasn't on the two deeps. Quinn Schulte is listed as the starting free safety in the spot that Jack Kerner was in. I think the key thing to remember is what the two deeps are going into August can change a lot from what we're looking at when the time comes to play a Michigan or the time comes to play an Ohio State. So I'd say stay tuned. I brought up that I didn't see Wampa on the two deeps to Kirk and asked him if he thinks he'd be an immediate contributor. And he said it wouldn't shock me was his line. So I wouldn't rule out seeing him being a factor later on in the season. But at this point, it's still early for him. Um, and if they're mostly basing this two deep, off what happened in the spring well then okay wampa was only in school for probably two-ish months by the time spring practices started so i don't know how much of a sample size that really is to really make a clear determination okay this guy's our starter so i think we'll see quinn schulte cedar rapids native for at least 
a chunk of the games having a pretty big role there. And maybe towards the end of the year, if Wampa's ready, he takes a bigger role, but maybe you'll be Quinn Schultz here. So time will tell on that one. Um, Quinn Schultz kind of follows the Jack Kerner blueprint that has worked out rather well for free safeties. So that will be another thing that will be interesting to watch, particularly as the season progresses. Then this question I thought was really interesting. What will be the result for the teams, not just football, of the USC and UCLA editions? And the biggest thing is probably that all of these athletic departments are going to have a lot more money. So the question, though, is does that trickle down to some of these non-revenue sports? like the soccers, the softballs, the baseballs, et cetera. So that's, I think, the big, yeah, I'd say the biggest thing in terms of result is if there's more money to go around, maybe it gets down to them, or maybe it still just gets spent mostly on football. We'll see on that one. Um, from a travel component, I think it affects other schools more than it does Iowa. I thought actually Scott Frost, Nebraska head coach, brought up an interesting point about how, like, how much farther is LA from Lincoln than Piscataway, where Rutgers is. And I think that same point kind of applies to Iowa to some extent, where, okay, they'd have to be flying if the game was at Rutgers, anyways, or even at Penn State. Now you're just flying in one of two directions. I think it probably is going to be more difficult for the USC and UCLA athletes who have to go completely across the country or the Rutgers athletes who now their farthest trip instead of Nebraska is on the other side of the Rockies in LA. So I think that will be interesting. I think we'll see probably a lot more charter flights for some of these non-revenue teams because there's going to be the money for it. And that's really going to be on some of these days. If you have, you know, you still have classes and you have to get to those games. I think that'll be a key point there. Um, and something that we could maybe see more funding go toward because they'll become more necessary for, especially the team's, they have to go entirely across the country. Iowa only have to go two time zones if it's a game at LA. And the others, though, could have to go three. And the other thing, too, is while there are the travel questions, I think for when you look at it percentage-wise, 16-team conference, if you're Iowa, 13 of your 15 opponents are still in your existing geographic footprint. So I think it's really going to be the hardest part will be for USC and UCLA. But if they end up on charter flights, which I expect, but not counting on that, well then, okay, the difference between a two-hour flight and a three-hour flight isn't that bad. So um, then... Is Iowa kind of two part question here? Is Iowa getting ready for a transition into post Ferens football? How long might he stick around? So, with the contract extension through 2029, 
I think that's probably a sign that he wants to still coach for a while. And, you know, it's clear football is his passion. It isn't like he has these eight other hobbies that, okay, if he put football aside, oh man, can get onto those things. Whereas his pastime for his career, really, has been football. So I wouldn't expect to see any, you know, things can change quickly. He's turning 67 next week, if I'm doing my math right, August 1st. So yeah, that's next week. So, you know, he's not getting any younger. Now, just because the contract is through 2029 doesn't mean that he will be coaching through 2029. But what it does mean is whenever he decides to ride off into the sunset, he really gets to do it on his own terms. When you look at how much the termination without cause would be, this is really Kirk Ferentz's schedule to decide. And really his timeline to decide how open he wants to be about it. Now, in terms of post-Ferrance football, I think now there's no public clear succession plan, but they do have, I think, a future head coach on staff with LeVar Woods. So that's one option. Of course, when you have an offensive coordinator with the last name Ference, that name will come up in those conversations as well. Now, obviously, his offenses have not produced the results that LeVar's special teams units have produced. But, you know, I think that will always be among the rumor mill. Then the follow-up question to that, to those two, is how valuable is the head football job at Iowa? And... I think when you look at it, it's hard to judge it to some extent because, okay, the last time it came open was, let's see, before the 1999 season. So it's been a while since this has been a conversation even. Now, they're a Power 5 school, and that always is in the a attractive thing. I think the other thing is there are a lot of coaches out there who have Iowa ties. So you have somebody like Mark Stoops, who I think age-wise might be the only thing that holds them back is if Kirk stays for another five years, Mark Stoops might be getting a little old to make a move there. But, you know, even if you just looked around the Big Ten, you've got Brett Bielema, not far away, who's an Iowa alum, who's had a track record in the Big Ten, who's won Big Ten title, you know, who's gone to the Rose Bowl, that kind of thing. So I think it's going to be appealing to somebody. The one possible challenge is going to be once we have a little more clarity on who are the winners and losers of NIL. And if you have another Power 5 school that has a really significantly better NIL infrastructure, that could maybe make it a little less appealing if you don't have as much money to give to a possible athlete. Now, at the same time, if the Swarm Collective goes really well, well, that'll be an appealing thing that could maybe elevate Iowa in one way or another. 
And then um, another question, how likely is PJ Fleck to beat Ference this year? I think it should be a pretty good game in Minneapolis. If I had to, I'm not a betting person, but if I did have to put money, I'd probably lean towards Iowa on that one. But Minnesota has a capable offense. And if Iowa's offense struggles, I could see a situation where Minnesota breaks the streak there and keeps the, you know, well, I should say takes the pig, considering how long it's been residing in Iowa City. Yeah, there's a chance that they take the pig back. Um, I think you really have to have some sustaining drives if you're the offense. Granted, you could, you know, control C or command C, depending on if you're a PC or Mac person, and control V and paste that into any statement about any of these teams that Iowa really has to have an offense that can sustain drives. Well, when you look at the Minnesota game last year, when Minnesota was on the field for 40 minutes, that's really not sustainable. And if they can pull that off for two years in a row against Minnesota, like they might as well get a lottery ticket on the way back down to Iowa City. So it it does not happen very often to be able to win games without sustaining drives and considering Minnesota's offense and how much of that is coming back. I think the offense needs to have at least a decent game where, okay, if Iowa's defense forces some turnovers, they're in a good position to score. Then um, a really interesting question, how much does Kirk's voice resonate in the big 10 slash college football? Because he's, been making these comments about the changes um, that um, this person has noticed has garnered attention nationally, but he also sounds kind of resigned to the fact that change is happening with or without him on board. And I think that's really interesting. It's something I didn't think about um, before this, but it's a good point where I think it resonates in terms of the fact that when he talks, people listen. But I think there's a difference between resonating and being impactful. So like Kirk, one of the things he expressed concern about was the combination of NIL and the ease of transferring from one place to another and how easily that can create tampering situations. Well, right now, everything seems to be pointed toward more rights for athletes. And granted, the issue with that Kirk has with it is tampering, not so much athletes benefiting financially from their work. He did say yesterday that he is open to, or when he was asked about revenue sharing um, with athletes, he thinks athletes should be included. But um, you look at it, I don't think we're going to see more regulation from the NCAA on NIL, one half of that tampering concern that Kirk had, largely because of the possibility of lawsuits if they put whatever restrictions they can try to put on it. So. That half of it, 
I think, faces that challenge. And with the transfer portal, we're seeing the pendulum swing in the other direction right now, where there are proposed NCAA rule changes to eliminate the one-time part of the one-time transfer rule. Granted, it already was pretty close to that in terms of the ease of some of these waivers, but taking out the one-time part of the one-time transfer rule so players could transfer as much as they want without having to sit out a year. So I think people, it gets people's attention, but is it enough to overcome the ongoing legal barriers to enforcing NIL? Does it stop the kind of current push for more open transferring? I don't think it does. Um, we'll see. Time will tell. You know, Gary Barta was talking about um, taking back the one-time transfer rule in the other direction where you don't have that one time. And that was earlier this summer. Maybe it was May or June, but still summer. Um, and still we see the NCAA proposing these changes. So I think there's a difference here between it resonating and it being impactful. Um, then another question, um, of course, Iowa isn't going to say it's pessimistic about the offense. This is in reference to the optimism that they've been showing on offense this week. Um, so the question still, do you believe or do you buy there being reason to believe in improvement going into 2022. My basic answer to that is yes and no. I think it's reasonable to expect some improvement. They've had another year to take a look at the film, to focus on making the makeables, that kind of thing. That was a big point that Kirk brought up is the makeable plays that he saw in the film in 2021. Now, I don't think it's fair to expect them to go from what they were last year, which was not a pretty offensive showing for myriad reasons, to all of a sudden being this elite, incredibly efficient offense. So as I said on a podcast with one of my counterparts that covers Ohio State, like don't expect Spencer Petrus to go from 57% completions to 77, like Oregon 70, or probably even 67. So I think it's reasonable to expect some improvement, but is it enough improvement to be able to keep up with the harder schedule? You've got Michigan, you've got Ohio State. I don't know. That's the million dollar question there. You know, the offensive line, I think there's reason for optimism, but it's still a lot of younger players. You know, I have the two deeps near me here. So if I read off the classes of the offensive linemen on the two deeps, sophomore, redshirt, freshman, sophomore, senior, sophomore, redshirt, freshman, sophomore, redshirt, freshman, senior, junior. You know, those are some young, a lot of young people 
in that mix there. So it's still a young position. Now, it helps a lot that you have Connor Colby coming back after, well, I guess having another year of developing is a better way of saying that. It helps that you have Mason Richmond, who has another year of developing. So that definitely makes a difference. But offensive line, I think you don't, you have a question mark there. I think you definitely have a question mark at wide receiver. You know, Alec Wick being the second team wide, one of the second team wide receivers. Nothing against Alec Wick. It sounds like he's been working really hard, doing a lot of good things. But when you have somebody who came in as a red shirt and they're already on the two deeps as a red shirt freshman at wide receiver, that's a sign that there's really not much depth there. So I think somebody has to take that next step, whether it's Alec Quick, whether it's Brody Brecht, whether it's Deontay Vines. There are a bunch of people who could make that step up, but they need somebody who will indeed make that step up. Oh, that person could only goes so far. And then quarterbacks, of course, that's probably the number one concern going into the season after last year's results. And the other thing too is Iowa doesn't need Spencer Petrus to look like the next Joe Burrow. They don't to win. You know, if he can be really accurate on a lot of the short and medium passes, you know, a facilitator, that that's probably going to be good enough with this, especially with this defense. And if the offensive line gets good blocking to Gavin and LaShawn Williams, really being a facilitator is enough. But we'll see. It's as I mentioned earlier, not an easy schedule. And then one final question here, who was your favorite interview this week? It's a really good question. Um, I love how this is really the week where you get to talk to a lot of different people that you otherwise don't really get to see regularly throughout the season. So some of these coaches, okay, you might see once in a press conference or something like that, but you have all 14 head coaches there in a two-day period. So um, that being said, the first person who comes to mind had a great conversation um, with Kayvon Merriweather. Um, so that was really good. Looking forward to writing about that. Um, maybe by the time you tune in, it will be already written about. Um, so that conversation is really good. Talked about a lot of interesting things, um, NIL, his trip to Selma with the Big Ten, um, that sounded very impactful um, and very moving. So that one certainly sticks out. Uh, Brett Bielema is pretty interesting this year. So he told a few Iowa stories that I'm looking forward to sharing in future articles. So, um, but there are a lot of interesting comments um, Jeff Brom was interesting with talking about Tyrone Tracy and Charlie Jones um, and Charlie Jones going to someplace that, you know, he could maybe have a chance to go to the next level there with a pass heavy offense where he's going to get catches. So, um, yeah, it was certainly a fascinating week. 
Um, plenty of articles to come. Um, thanks again to everyone who submitted questions. Again, yeah, put in a plug for the text group, joinsubtext.com slash Hawkeyes. Again, it's free. Um, so enjoyed discussing a lot of Big Ten Media Days with that group. So until next week, um, I'll have another podcast next week. But until then, um, keep on looking at thegazette.com for coverage. And I'll be, of course, tweeting things too at jsteppy1. Until then, we will talk Hawks later. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.